0: Well, good morning and welcome back. Whether you're in person with us or online, we are still in the middle of our brand new series called Hope is Here. And so this morning if you would turn with me to the book of John, the Gospel of John will be in chapter 8 verses 1 through 11 this morning. And uh, as we continue to walk through just this idea, this theme of the fact that hope is here, here in the church, hope is here because Jesus is here. And uh, because of our relationship with Jesus Christ and the relationship that we find with one another here in the church, we have the opportunity to be able to cling to that hope and to share that hope with others. Last week, we looked at how Jesus invites us to find rest in Him when we're weary and when we're burdened with just the overwhelming burdens of life, and how we can. Come alongside one another within the church and share one another's burdens so that we remember that we don't walk alone. And the truth is that we find ourselves in need of hope a lot in this life. But perhaps our need of hope is not because we feel weary or worn out or tired, but maybe it comes from a sense of brokenness. Uh, When we lived in North Carolina, I drove a Mazda Millennia. It may be the favorite car that I have ever owned. Uh, I loved that car. It drove so good. And I I just loved driving it to work every day, loved driving it to seminary every day. Well, one day I was on my way home from work, and I was minding my own business, just driving down the main uh, highway there, when all of the sudden, out of the oncoming traffic, a car tried to turn left right in front of me, I guess they never saw me, and ran straight into my left front fender. Well, it was a McDonald's company car, and I don't know why that's relevant to this story other than the fact that they had insurance, and part of the agreement with the insurance company was that they allowed me to pick whichever body shop I wanted to use to have them work on my car, and so I did, we shopped around, we found one that was reputable, had a good reputation, and and uh, had good reviews, and so I took it there, and they gave me the initial kind of outlook for the car and said that the frame from the car had actually been bent. It had hit so hard that um, she turned pretty fast into me that it had bent the frame, but he assured me that they were actually going to replace those parts and not try to repair uh, that frame, and so uh, it's fine with me, whatever. Well, I finally, several weeks later, get the car back and I began to drive it around town, drive it the same place as I used to go. Drive it to work, I would drive it to school, uh, wherever our family would go. And it never drove the same. It was way more rough on the road. Uh, the the sensitivity with the, with the steering wheel was never really the same. It just always felt a little bit off. And then uh, eventually we decided we needed to trade it in for a van because our family was growing at that time. And so... We took it uh, over to CarMax and we were going to kind of trade it in for a car that we were going to purchase there and they do this really kind of intensive uh, inspection on it and the inspector came back and said "We, we can't purchase this car from you and I was like why and he was like because the frame has been bent and I was like well I know that it was in an accident and I had told them that up front. And he said, well, yeah, but you said they replaced it. And I said, well, that's what they told us. And he said, well, they didn't replace it. What they did was they superheated the frame and they bent it back into place the best they could. But it, it, when you do that, it's never going to be perfect. Well, that made perfect sense to me because it never worked the way that it had previous to the accident after they fixed it, after it was repaired. You know, that's one of the problems with broken things. You, you take a mug or a, a vase and you drop it, and it shatters into pieces. And even if those pieces are big, when you try to put it back together, it's never going to quite look the same as it used to. And here's the reality. Our lives are fragile. The choices we make matter. And our decisions have consequences. We've all had times where we've made poor decisions, and we've had to live with those consequences. We've all made mistakes, and we've fallen into what the Bible calls sin and when this happens it it often feels like because it's true that things break that things aren't the same anymore because of our choices our relationships might fall apart we might lose a job our finances may suffer our marriage may be strained and it can leave us feeling hopeless as we try to pick ourselves back up and we try to put the pieces Of our life back together it becomes very apparent that things may never be the same because of some of the things that we've done in our life and we can feel abandoned by God we can feel judged by people around us and it's in these times where we're longing for some kind or some type of hope how can we know that there's more to this life than what we're going through right now and there truly is no worse feeling than when your sin finds you out right Being exposed causes us to feel shame and to feel guilt. It doesn't have to be the end of the story for us, though. Just because maybe people know about the sin or the mistakes or the shortcomings or the falling in our life doesn't have to be the end of the story. Because Jesus meets us right where we are in our brokenness, in our shame, and in our guilt to remind us that hope is here. There's a story in the Bible, in John chapter eight about a woman that knew exactly what it felt like to be broken, to be in need of restoration. It takes place in John chapter eight. As Jesus is traveling to the temple to teach, he sits down with the crowd, and his teaching is interrupted now. Before we get started with this passage of Scripture, I do need to kind of mention something. If you'll notice in many of your Bibles as you're looking at them, there's brackets around John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I want to take just a moment and explain why those brackets are there and why I think that this passage of Scripture still can be very useful to us even though there may be an explanation as to why those brackets are there. Some of yours even has a heading that will say that the earliest manuscripts don't include John chapter 8, verses 1-11. through 11. If you have a King James or New King James version of the Bible, it's probably in there without the brackets, but for other translations, maybe that came along later, as they made new discoveries, the older manuscripts that they discovered didn't have this in there. So what does that mean? Well, scholars point out that the most reliable manuscripts that we have don't include this story, it's as if someone wrote it in the margin of the the passage of Scripture, which means it may not have actually been a part of the original document, or it may have been a part of the original document, and it got left out on some of those different copies. Keep in mind, the way those passages of Scriptures were copied was not with a copy machine. It wasn't with somebody taking a picture of it making a PDF. No, what, the way they were copied was someone would take the manuscript and they would sit down with a blank parchment paper and they would write it out. They would transcribe it just line by, by line. And it is possible that in some of those transcriptions it got left out. And it is also possible that in some of those transcriptions they're reading along and they hear about the division that's taking place between the people, the Pharisees and the people in John chapter 7. They hear about Jesus saying, hey, I'm the light of the world. You can find your hope in me and they inserted a story in there to help with that this isn't new this isn't new information they didn't find this out five years ago for thousands of years they've known that this was true and you may say well how many times does this happen in the bible where maybe a story gets added to it only twice in all of the new testament right here and at the end of mark chapter 16 after verse nine that section is in brackets as well and the reality is this it doesn't change the meaning of any of this it fits exactly with the meaning and the message of scripture and so we want to just acknowledge that that's true here and then we also want to acknowledge that this is a great illustration of how jesus and his compassion interacted with people and how we can see that from the life of jesus early in the church this was a story that was being told over and over again about how he interacted with this woman who'd been caught I want us to read it together and then kind of walk through it this morning as we think about hope for the broken in verse 1 it says that Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning he came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and taught them and the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who'd been caught in adultery and placing her in the midst they said to him teacher this woman has been caught in the act of adultery now in the law Moses commanded us to stone such women so what do you say they said this to test him that they might have some charge to bring against him and jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground and they continued to ask him and he stood up and said to them let he who is without sin among you be the first to throw a stone at her and once more he bent down and he wrote on the ground but when they heard it they went away one by one beginning with the older ones and jesus was left alone with the with the woman standing before him And Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. This woman in the story is brought before everyone in the middle of a crowd of people that had gathered to hear Jesus preach and teach with the accusation that she'd been caught in the act of adultery she was cheating on her husband with someone else that was not her husband and these men apprehended her in the middle of the scandal can you imagine how embarrassing how guilty how broken she felt how humiliating this was now you may like like many people may hear this and think well it serves her right she shouldn't have been doing it hey we'll get to that in a minute but she would have been fully aware of the consequences for her actions, caught in the act of adultery under Mosaic law, according to that sin, the only possible result for her was that she should be stoned to death. Now this is the epitome of what brokenness looks like. A broken marriage, a broken woman, a broken reputation. I mean, does it really get more rock bottom than right here? But here's something we all need to keep in mind. Because in the grand story of God, where you and I fit into it is this. We are all broken people. This was not one broken woman surrounded by whole people. This was a crowd of broken people watching a broken woman have her brokenness be brought to the surface. Now what's most shocking about this story is that the woman seems to have been used as a pawn in the religious leader's plan to rid themselves of Jesus. They didn't care anything about her. She was of no consequence. Here, sin was being exploited in front of everyone, not because they wanted to harm the woman. They didn't care about her. Because they wanted to harm Jesus. Now, is there more brokenness in this crowd than just this woman? Of course there is. She was caught in the middle and her sin had been exposed. Now here's an interesting question, just to ponder, okay? where was the man exactly in all of this she was caught in the act of adultery you ever heard the phrase it takes two to tango i mean she she was not committing adultery by herself no somebody else was involved they didn't care about that because their relationship was not the point they were trying to trap jesus why because they were just as broken as she was Jesus went to the Mount of Olives early in the morning He came again to the temple and all the people came to him and he sat down and he taught them. And in the middle of this crowd, the scribes, the Pharisees, the religious leader, the religious elite, brought this woman who'd been caught in adultery, placed her in the middle of everyone as a pawn for their scheme to harm Jesus. And they said to him, Teacher, this woman's been caught in the act of adultery. Here's something to be reminded. We are all broken people, so don't let pride blind you. Because you're broken too. And she probably didn't have any pride left. But actually that's why she was ready for the forgiveness that Jesus was about to offer them. The, the, the Pharisees were full of pride. And that's why in just a second they're going to walk away unchanged. They, they were not broken enough to the point that they were ready for forgiveness and restoration. Because their pride had blinded them but it wasn't just their pride. There was more that was blinding them as well. I grew up in east central Alabama at the foot of Cheaha Mountain. It's the bottom of the Appalachian Mountain chain. And it's the highest point in the state of Alabama. And so because it was the highest point in the state of Alabama, whenever it would get cold in the state of Alabama, even though some of the cities to the north were further up uh, geographically than us, we were higher in altitude than they were. And a lot of times we'd get snow when nobody else would get snow. That's one of the things I miss most about living in Alabama and North Carolina is snow. I miss snow. One of my favorite things to do was to get up in the morning when it was a school day to run and turn on the TV and, and watch that little ticker at the bottom of the page that would scroll through that would tell you the different counties where the school systems had been shut down. I mean, it would take like six or seven flurries of snow in Alabama to shut everything down. We didn't have snow plows. We didn't have the ability to get ice off the road. So if it, if there was even a hint or the thought of snow or ice, they'd shut everything down. But we were on the edge of our seat waiting to see if Clay County would come across that ticker and let us know that we didn't have to go to school, but then when the snow would come down, we would get all dressed up, we'd put on our boots, we'd put on our gloves, we'd put on our jackets, and our, we'd, we'd, put, we'd cover our ears with earmuffs, and we'd go outside and we'd play and play and play until we were so freezing cold we couldn't play anymore. And eventually we'd have to come inside, and we'd have to take off all these clothes that were now wet, and we'd take them all off. And, and we'd go and get in front of a fire, or in front of a furnace, or in front of a heater, and we'd try to let our hands thaw out again, but they were so frozen, and they were so so, uh, asleep and and dead feeling that it would take forever, and as they were warming up, they would begin to burn, And, and it would hurt, because the stinging of the nerves in there warming up was sometimes really painful, but it was necessary. It was necessary because they were dead, and they needed to be thawed out, they needed to be brought back to life our sin has laid bare one of the one of the most important things about our sin being laid bare is that even though sometimes it's painful and even though sometimes it hurts it's necessary because if you're not open and honest about your brokenness and you let your pride get the best of you how do you get forgiveness How do you get restoration if you don't ever actually confess your sins to God? You get to a place to where everything is just open and bare and finally everyone eventually will learn. Beware, your sins will find you out. Your sins will be exposed like thawing fingers from cold winter snow. In the pain as it subsides, it's the warmth of that fresh start. Now, in many cases in our lives, we just put those wet clothes back on, go back outside and get frozen again. But Man, isn't it wonderful to let the pride slip away and to allow the warmth of the grace of God to help us to recognize we don't have to stay broken. He can put us back together. Here she was, caught in adultery, laying before Jesus. She lost hope. Her fate was certain death. But then Jesus intervenes, And that was part of the problem. Part of the problem was they couldn't get past their hate for him. Don't let hate blind you. It's really easy for you to think about everybody else as broken people. It's really easy for you to think about people that are striving to live a life of righteousness for God as someone who thinks they're better than you. The Pharisees were a great example of a group of people who couldn't let their pride or their hate get out of the way so that they could receive the mercy and grace that God offered even to them. Verse 5 says, Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? They said this to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. And Jesus bent down, wrote with his finger on the ground. Again, this woman was of no consequence to the religious elite. They didn't care anything about her. Their hatred of Jesus was so blinding that they would do anything they could to stop him. And they probably despised this woman too, so whatever happens to her, who cares? They didn't even stop to think that he had come to fix their brokenness as well. So they didn't seek the healer. Can I tell you something, church? Don't make the same mistake that the Pharisees made. You're not a good person. You are a broken person that Christ has made whole again. So remember, the church is a place for broken people. People that are perfect and whole don't need the church. But those of us that are broken and recognize that we need the healer, we need the church. Verse 7 says, And as they continued to ask him, he stood up and said to them, Let he who is without sin among you be the first to stone her, to throw a stone at her. And once more he bent down and rode on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones, and Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Again, let me just remind you, we are not good people. Now, here's the thing, neither were the Pharisees. We're not told exactly what Jesus was writing. We don't know what he wrote on the ground. Maybe he wrote the names of the men that were standing there accusing her. Perhaps he wrote a list of their sins. Maybe he was writing a list of her sins. We don't know what, they, what he wrote, but his statement, let those of you who are without sin throw the first stone at her, and then him writing on the ground. Whatever it was, it brought to light something they didn't really want to think about. They're broken people too. Regardless of what he wrote, when pushed by the mob for an answer, Jesus stands up and tells them, you're free to proceed. But only the one of you that doesn't have sin in his own life. See, here's here's another reminder. We're not the good people. And others are not the bad people, right? This is not a good versus bad. This is a, we're all broken sinners. These men, one by one, drop their stones and they go home. I I love the detail that we're provided here. First, the older men leave. Why? I, I don't know. Maybe in their wisdom, in their age, it caused them to reflect and to understand first what Jesus was saying to them. But eventually, the younger, perhaps the more stubborn people, began to follow and they just walked away. But unfortunately, the sad part about this is they walked away unchanged. As the dust settles, it's only Jesus and the woman that's there, and she's the one that gets the gift of God's grace that day. Those men exposed this woman's sin to shame her, to trap Jesus. And Jesus exposed sin for a completely different reason. He exposed sin so that they would recognize their need to be forgiven he wants to make us whole he wants to repair us he wants to take the broken pieces of our life and put them back together because god heals broken people verse 10 and 11 jesus stood up and said to her woman where are they has no one condemned you and she said no one lord and jesus said neither do i condemn you go and from now on sin no more there's so much in that Those few verses that we could really unpack throughout the rest of Scripture, that's what I'm saying, this story really does illustrate so much of the grace and the message of the Gospel throughout Scripture. I can only imagine Jesus looking at this woman with compassion and love and for the first time in this woman's brokenness. She must have felt hope. She expected to be stoned to death. And what she found was grace and mercy and compassion. Jesus is the only one in this story that doesn't condemn her, and he's the only one in the story that has the authority to condemn her. Isn't that interesting? He doesn't want to punish her for her wrongdoing, because that's not why he came. Jesus offered her grace. Now, what does that tell us? Well, here's one thing it ought to tell us. Don't condemn the broken. That's above your pay grade. You don't have the right to condemn people. For their sinfulness. And by the way. Are we not reminded by Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount. To take the log out of our own eye. Before we start trying to remove the speck out of someone else's eyes. Don't judge other people. Unless you're willing to be judged yourself. Only Jesus has the authority to condemn us. And he wants to redeem us. Shouldn't we as his followers. Have a desire to see broken people. Put back together again. I love the way Stephen Furtick. Pastor. Uh, At Elevation Church says this: God exposes sin not to shame us, but to change us. That was Jesus' point in exposing the sin of the Pharisees, the stubborn, religious elite who needed to be reminded they were broken too. Don't condemn the broken, because ultimately, God restores the broken. This is where hope is. Maybe today, you're broken. And you need hope. You know where that hope's found? The same place this woman found hope. In Jesus. The good news for every one of us today is that if you feel broken, like you're surrounded by people who want to throw stones at you, Jesus meets you here in this place. And that's why hope is here. But you've got a choice to make. I've got a choice to make. And it's going to determine the future that we're going to live into. You can choose to make no changes and you can choose to to continue on your current trajectory just like the Pharisees did. They walked away unchanged. Now, to me, that seems hopeless. But the other option you have is to confess your sin to God. To expose the things in your life that you know are wrong. He already knows about them. It's just good for us to verbalize that and then ultimately to receive His forgiveness and walk in that new life. When we confess our sins and believe in Christ, we're found in Christ. Paul writes about this when he's writing to the church in Corinth. In 2 Corinthians 5, verse 17, he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. He didn't just repair you. He made you new. You were born again. The old life was broken and shattered and yeah, piece by piece he could have glued you back together but he didn't. He remade you brand new. That's what what the mechanic said he was going to do with my car, right? He didn't say he was going to repair the frame. He said he was going to replace the frame. But he didn't. But you know what? God always keeps his promises. And if anyone is found in Christ he is a new creation. He didn't just try to piece you back together. He makes you new. The old ways of living become things of the past. and God does something new inside of us. The church is nothing more than a gathering point for a whole bunch of sinners who are learning every day how to live this new life together. That's why hope is here. Because brokenness is here and yet we celebrate new life in Christ. The church should be a place where grace is found more readily than any other place on earth the grace of God and the grace found from those who, with whom he, we fellowship together in one another, this is the key to our, our hope. Experiencing it, passing it on to each other, and displaying it in this world. Now, I read a quote from an evangelist by the name of Juan Carlos Ortiz that expresses this living it in front of the world that I think is important for broken people to understand when God saves you He has a purpose for your life it's like watching a trapeze show it's breathtaking we wonder at the dexterity and the timing of the people that are how do they do the things that they do how can they move in that way and we gasp when they almost fall and in most cases we see there's a net underneath them and so we're at least comforted by the fact that if they make a mistake there's still a net there to catch them but when the trapeze artist falls what happens they jump right back up and they get right back up on the trapeze because the show's not over they're still displaying their amazing abilities in front of everyone to see did you know that in christ we actually live on a trapeze as though we are displaying the wonderful grace of god for the world to see the whole world should be able to watch us and be able to say look how they live Look how they love one another. Look how well the husbands treat their wives. And aren't they the best workers in the community and in the factory and in the offices? And aren't they the best neighbors? And aren't they the best students? You don't have to worry about them cheating, but they always try harder. Look how this church of of these people love the community and come to their need when they have them. And that's what it's like to live on the trapeze. Being a show to the world. What happens when we slip? The net's there. The blood of our Lord Jesus Christ is there to wash us from all impurity and to display the righteousness of Christ even in our fallenness. Jesus has provided forgiveness for all of our transgressions, all of our brokenness. But here's the thing, both the net and the ability to stay on the trapeze are both works of God's grace. You, you don't do that. That's him keeping you up on the trapeze to display to the world what it's like to be a child of God. Now, what if you just went up there and you just sat down on the trapeze? Nobody would watch that. What if you just slept on the net in the safety of God? Nobody would watch that. Now, what kind of Usefulness are you for the glory of God, for the kingdom of God, for the mission of God, for your purpose in life if you just constantly just come and rest on God's grace. Isn't God's grace given to you so that you might go and display your good works before others so that others might see you and be pointed to your Father who's in heaven? This morning, I want to invite you with your broken pieces and all to believe that God can make something beautiful out of your life maybe for some of you, once again, and maybe for some of you, for the very first time. I want to invite you to put your faith and trust in Him and to join a community that He's placed right here in your midst to offer hope to you and for you to offer hope to others of the wonderful, life-giving grace that God has given to all of us. You don't have to do this alone. God's grace makes it possible for you to be whole again maybe you're broken well we're all broken and the church is a place for broken people and god restores broken people won't you come to him today he is the answer to your brokenness would you bow your heads with me this morning father we are so grateful that in the middle of a life filled with sin and shortcomings and failures and mistakes. We can beat ourselves up for the rest of our lives for how much pain we caused ourselves and how much pain we caused others. We can listen to all of the condemnation that the world throws at us. Unfortunately, sometimes we can listen to all the condemnation that people in the church throw at us. Or, we can listen to the grace Of our savior jesus who says neither do i condemn you go and sin no more father we are in awe that you would forgive us but we're also reminded that you've not given us license to sin you have given us the grace to overcome sin and to live a life of a restored new creation for your glory for your kingdom forevermore god be with each person that's watching with each person that's here Help us to make a decision today to surrender our broken pieces to you. You make us whole, and God, you do with us as you see fit, for you alone are worthy. You alone have the authority, and you alone provide the grace. Thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen.